Remain standing for just a second longer while I read tonight's passage. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, band. As I was <clears throat> reflecting this week on Jesus in the upper room and reading through the different accounts in the four Gospels, the, the thing that was so striking to me, I think, was that Jesus is always doing and saying things that are exactly in accordance with who he is. So Jesus didn't wash the disciples' feet because of how good it was going to sound when the Apostle John wrote it down 50 years later, or to boost his reputation with his followers to get more likes, or to look humble, or anything like that. And the reason he did it is because it was congruent, or it was in line with who he is. The reason he did it was because it was in line with who he was. And it's interesting, uh, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for an actor. And it literally, mean, literally means to interpret from underneath, because the Greek actors would wear these big masks as they told the stories in their plays when they were acting. And so they would tell the story from underneath the mask. And so then it started being used for people who would say one thing, but do something different or who performed actions not because they meant the actions, but because of the response that they would get from the action. And this way of moving through the world has become so ingrained, I think, in our culture that it's almost our native way of living. We just almost always are performing. We're tempted to live our entire lives, for some of us, as performances. But Jesus was never a hypocrite. He never once told a story from underneath a mask. He didn't calculate his actions, trying to get certain reactions from people. He only did things for the pleasure of his Father, his Heavenly Father. And so as we turn tonight briefly towards the upper room stories, and we see the love and the humility of Christ on display, just remember, and I want to remember, that this is the heart of who Jesus was. It's not Jesus doing something to teach a lesson, right? He's not pretending to be humble. He is genuinely humble. All right, so tonight we're at a Maundy Thursday service. I've been asked by like eight people this week, what does Maundy mean? And Maundy comes from the Latin word mandatum, which is the Latin for the word commandment. And so it's in reference to the new commandment that Jesus gave the night before his death to the apostles. So if you know you have one night left before uh, you 
that your apostles are scattered and you're going to suffer and die. You, you teach the most important thing. You're like, okay, I, my greatest hits is tonight. Like, if you're going to remember one thing, remember this. And so this is the thing that he wanted them to remember. He's kind of saved it in some ways to emphasize even on this last night together. He knew it would be the thing that would carry them through fear and the despair of the next few days, and that would, more than that, frame up their mission after his resurrection and ascension. And we find the new commandment in John 13, 34, and it just is simply this. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So you read this, and you're like, wait a second, how is this new? In what sense is this a new commandment? I feel like the whole Bible is full of lots of things saying love each other, and, and that's kind of what we think of when we think of the Bible and God, and, you know, we should love our neighbors. That's in the Old Testament. Um, so what makes it new? What makes it new? The key phrase, and really the whole point of what Jesus does in the upper room is the phrase, just as I have loved you. So the newness of the new commandment is not the concept of love, but it's the imitation of the love of Jesus. So that's what Maundy Thursday always remembers, is that this is a different kind of love than what we are used to. We are not only to love, kind of in that typical sense of the word, but we're to love a certain way. And Jesus says, love just like I have loved you. So that includes multiple years together, and it includes the acts in the upper room, the foot washing, the Lord's table, um, his teaching, and then his willingness the next day to go to the cross. So what I want to do tonight as we look at our text is to take four takeaways of what is different about Jesus' loves, Jesus' love for us, and what they can kind of show us about the new commandment as we try to live that out. So four different implications of the new commandment. So number one is the new commandment of love is a love full of grace and patience. The new commandment of love that Jesus gives his disciples is a love marked by grace and patience. And you see this in this passage. It strikes you how frustrating this would be if you're Jesus. I'm just pretending. But you, you read the passage in Luke, and I don't think I gave you the passage. Sorry about that. So Luke 22 uh, he spent all this time, he's washed their feet, he's been teaching them. He rode in last week on a donkey. Uh, he's saying he's going to lay down their, his life for them. And then what is their response here in verse 24? They start arguing. And they start arguing who's going to be the best in the new kingdom. So you can imagine they're picturing another revolution. And just like 200 years ago, the Maccabean revolt overthrew the Greek empire out of Jerusalem. They think that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman empire out of Jerusalem, and they're arguing about their posturing as his commanders. Um, and talk about frustration and not sinking in when you're trying to teach someone. kind of reminds you of parenting. It's like you feel like you say it a million times, and it doesn't stick. But Jesus, instead of yelling or slamming the door and leaving, or however I might have responded in that situation... He patiently teaches them again, and he explains that the community that he is building here isn't going to look like what they expect. It's going to be something totally different. And so a simple takeaway for us from this is that the new 
commandment community that Jesus is building should be marked by patience and grace towards what I like to call ordinary sinners. Grace towards irritating, difficult people because we all fall into those categories sometimes, if we're honest. And we need to give grace and patience towards each other. That loving others like Jesus means putting up with them and bearing with those that God has put in our lives in this room. Knowing that, as the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. And there are, of course, exceptions to this, but here Jesus models this extraordinary patience with his disciples and love that we can learn what he means when he says, I give you a new commandment. So firstly, it's marked by patience and and this long-suffering. The second thing, it's marked by this profound humility. And Jesus here redefines leadership in a way that has changed the world, even the non-Christian world. He says, the leader is the one who serves. I think this was an Elon Musk tweet like three weeks ago, that it's snuck into many corporate PowerPoint presentations. The leader is the one who serves. We kind of just like that, right? Our culture loves that. And I think it's because our culture has been so profoundly shaped by this teaching that we like, we like how that sounds in our ears. It sounds right. Like, yeah, the leader should be humble. But that is very different than the Greco-Roman culture that Jesus lived in, where the leader was often the one, was the one who received, right? And whatever he needed at the expense of his followers, he was number one. And so we think that our culture maybe understands this one, but not so fast, because Jesus doesn't compare uh, this kind of servant leadership to a tyrant. He actually picks a very particular word here. He says, the word benefactor. It's an interesting word. So he says, the Gentiles love each other with like a benefactor relationship, but I want you to love each other in a different way. So what's a benefactor? A benefactor, the benefactor relationship was part of the patronage system of the Greco-Roman society. So the way it worked was someone above you or equal to you would help you out, but that was not without cost because you owed them a favor in return, and you couldn't escape that obligation. That would last the rest of your life. So rich people and powerful people were often actually quite generous to to those beneath them, but the generosity came with an expectation and obligations of returning the favor, or winning the vote, or getting invited to speak at the next banquet, or being part of important decisions. And so Jesus is saying that this new commandment of love, of course it isn't tyranny, but it's also not being a benefactor, right? That would have been kind of the natural correction. He says, no, it's not even that, not like being a benefactor. This is freely given love. This is the agape love of the Father. Love that gives and doesn't expect anything in return. Love that is without obligation, that is lavish and generous. This is the marking of this new commandment, love. Jesus says a very profound line in verse 27. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. I'm among you as the one who serves. He's not using people. He's loving people. And I don't think our culture knows much about that kind of love, but Jesus wants us to show them. 
So number three is the new commandment of love means that we love to the end. We love to the end. Listen to John chapter 13, which was read earlier. John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus loves his disciples all the way to the end of his life. Judas has already turned against Jesus in his heart, but before Judas has left the gathering, Jesus has already washed his feet. He's one of the people that Jesus is washing the feet of. Jesus loves his people so deeply that he's going to go face a Roman cross for them. And then the profound thing is that when he's resurrected, who does he go looking for? The people he loves. I love that I read that the, this New Testament scholar named Richard Hayes noted that after the resurrection, Jesus didn't go to Pilate or to Caesar or to Herod and say, ha ha, I win. He went to go find the people that he loved. So who did he appear to first? He went to find Mary and Martha and Peter and then the other disciples and then Thomas because he missed it. And then he finds these unnamed disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that's just a picture of when Jesus sets his love on us he doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop pursuing. So we are called then to be marked by this kind of love that Jesus has shown us, a community marked by continuing and committed love for each other. And finally, the new commandment of love is the foundation of an entirely new kingdom. The new commandment of love is the foundation of this entirely different kingdom. The apostles miss it big time, and Jesus has to explain to them. He says, no, it's not what you're thinking. It's going to be a lot different. And uh, it's the foundation of, the, of something that has really never existed before on earth. And I was reading recently about the, uh, the picture of reversal that you have with Babel and Pentecost. You might have heard this one before, that with Babel, you have the scattering of the languages of the nations. And then at Pentecost, with Peter's sermon, there's a reversal that everyone can hear and the nations are brought back together. And that's really profound that God is reversing the curse of Babel and bringing the nations back together. But in its own way, I think Maundy Thursday is also the undoing of Babel. Maundy Thursday is, a, is the other way that the curse of Babel is reversed. And the reason is because in Genesis, it says that the people of Babel had gathered together in order to make a name for themselves. That was the goal. And so the builders of, of the tower wanted this unity built around pride and self-protection, and God scattered their project. He scattered the languages to break the project because the project was for the glory of self. But here comes Jesus, and he's starting a different kingdom. It's starting right here in the upper room, and his temple project that he's building with us is built around humility and love for neighbor which is a project that God intends to honor and bless. So God has brought the nations back together again into one new body, which we see in the language and the unifying of the tongues at Pentecost. Then God's given them a new ethic of love, which we see on Maundy Thursday, the reversal of Babel. And unlike Babel, God is building a kingdom now that can't be shaken because God has chosen to use the church to redeem the entire world. So those four ways just are a quick flyover of what 
the new commandment to love like Jesus might look like. And I want to conclude this evening with, with a, thinking about, well, how do we do this? How do we do it? Because this is really high and lofty and feels sort of impossible, and then you get back to normal life and the frustrations of, uh, you know, a family and a mortgage and children or your job or taxes and tax season and you mess it up and you think, you're, you know, all those things like hit you. Uh, that would, didn't happen to me. Um, <laughs> all those things hit you and you're like, well, that sounds good, John, but how, how do we live like this? And the passage, again, we read a second ago, in the same moment of teaching with his disciples in the upper room, Jesus tells them in John chapter 15 this story, this metaphor, and he says, here's how you do it. He says, I'm kind of like the vine, right? And I have, in, in me, there's a lot of nourishment. And you're kind of like a branch. And if you get separated from the brine, you're going to dry up and you're going to be burned because you're not good for anything. But if you stay connected to the vine as a branch, my love and life is going to flow into you. And if you do that, you can enact this kind of love. Our only hope for what Christ has laid out for us as the body of Christ in the world, for that love to flow through us, we don't have access to that on our own. The only way we can do it is in our union with Christ, that we are empowered to live out this commandment and bring about the kingdom because we have Christ in us and his love can be in us too. So tonight as we reflect and we receive a visual reminder of the love of Christ for us in communion. I pray that we would go forth and enact this different kind of love wherever God has placed us, um, knowing that he has promised to give us the strength to do it. All right, I'm going to invite the band back up and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we admit our failures honestly and openly tonight where we have fallen short and we have uh, hurt our neighbors, we have sinned against you, we have done the wrong thing, we have not been loving in so many ways, we have been short-tempered, we have given up, and we have looked for our own glory instead of the kingdom that you are building. Lord, we repent of this, and we, with open hands, want to receive your grace into our hearts tonight. We thank you, Lord, for Holy Week, thank you, Lord, for for Holy Week and for remembering uh, your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.